Most of us want to be able to give ourselves to something that is bigger than ourselves. We want to be able to trust without reservation. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a cause that can captivate everything we want to be about. But often when we look, or leap before we look, we find ourselves just, uh, just cause, seeing all kinds of problems take place in our life. Uh, sometimes we look and we didn't really look in the right place and we leap and we find our heart broken, we find ourselves discouraged, uh, we find ourselves in the middle of a failure because we really didn't see things as uh, we had hoped that we had seen. And knowing before we actually leap is so crucial because when you and I leap, once momentum starts, once you're moving in that direction, once you're falling in that direction, once you're riding in that direction, gravity takes over. And so once you leap, you can't like stop, time out, and start all over again. There is a part that that just momentum uh, takes place. Now, you may remember this guy from a few months ago. I was looking for something that kind of drew this idea out. Uh, but this skier, once he leaps, once he starts moving in that direction, there is nothing that's going to stop him except the bottom. I'm going to go for it. Pretty much, yeah. Now, you may remember I took out some of the sound because he gets a little excited and Maybe not what we want to hear Sunday morning. <laughs> this is a place called Tuckerman's Ravine. It's at the base of Mount Washington. <laughs> He's all in. You like that, Evie? <laughs> this is the stuff we can't repeat. <laughs> I don't know what you call that, but he's moving. Now, this is the other view, watching him go down the mountain. There he is. That's where it happened. And I tell you, there's probably about 500 people sitting on these rocks watching him do this. Well, when you ski, you definitely know, need to know how to fall. And if you don't know how to fall or you don't know how to fail, you're going to be in big trouble. Uh, the first time I ever tried, like, real skiing, I was 19 years old. I got dropped off at the little ski shack with my buddies. They went off because they knew what they were doing. Uh, these were the good old days where cool kids wore those boat shoes, those deck shoes with no socks. So to do that in the winter was really your feet are freezing and you're waiting in line, but you're cool. And uh, so I got in there, got all my equipment and uh, made my first run. I did the little, uh, um, you know, the rope toe days. And, uh, you know, that was pretty intimidating and you know, watching these little kids just go up there. And I didn't know what I was doing. Finally make it up to the top. 
and uh, I did not know how to fall. And so I went on my way down and uh, fell so uh, badly that uh, I ended up going back to the rental department, giving my skis, jumping in my car, and went home. And because I didn't know how to fall right, it was another uh, 17 years before I tried skiing again. And so at 36, I tried skiing, knew a little bit more, knew a little bit more about falling and all that, and I actually love it now. You see, knowing how to fall, how to fail, is so important. And most of us, when we fail, we don't fail forward, we fail backward, and we lean away from it. And we're going to see that Peter demonstrates learning, even though it's extremely painful, he fails in huge ways, yet he learns how to fail forward rather than pulling back. Now, if Peter had fallen or failed the way I did when I skied, there would actually be a 17-year gap of us not hearing from Peter at all because he would have pulled back and that would have been the end of his faith journey for a while and then maybe he would have gotten it together. So learning how to fall, learning how to trust, learning what direction is just so, so important because the reality is this, failure will define us. It refines us or it redefines us but it will never leave us the same. It will never leave us the same. So we really need to understand how to um, fail forward. We need to understand how to fall well because it's going to be with us, and it does not leave us the same. Whatever that item is, whatever that issue is, whatever that little thing is, whatever that disaster is, it does define us. And hopefully it actually refines us. And so, again, you need to know where to fall and how to fall. You may remember this guy is just a sad story. (laughs) And watch the faces of the people. See, there's a guy who just did not know how to fall well how to fail well, which direction to go. Everyone has a story about failing, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a parenting moment, whether it's something at work, whether it's a relational problem, a financial problem, um, an abortion, uh, a one-night lapse of judgment, uh, a bad idea. Whatever it is, you get the idea that we all have failures, and they're going to happen to us. Whether we're a Christ follower or not, they are going to happen to us. So how we learn to fall, fail and fall is, is just so important for us. And God never wants us to waste a failure. And in Peter's life, the failure is not wasted. The failures are not wasted. Um, he is able to navigate through that even though it is so painful, even though it is so embarrassing, even though it is so humiliating, he's able to navigate through those. See, see you see, we've got to realize that failure is not final. It's not final in our lives. Again, it can help refine us. It can redefine us. It is with us. And uh, again, we just need to understand how that works in our lives. Now, if our lives were perfect, we would have no need for Jesus. 
And this is not to make necessarily an excuse for our failures, our, our falling, but the reality is, is we aren't perfect. We live in a broken world, and there's consequences from that. There's consequences that have, in a sense, nothing to do with you, but bring these things into your life. And then there were the things that we, in a sense, welcome into our life, or the things that we are just blindsided, or we, we embrace but if it wasn't, if our lives were perfect, we would have no need for Jesus. And we have to realize that um, you don't know God is all you need until you ha- he is all you have. And there are these moments and times where our falling, our failures, are actually designed to teach us. And there's some strong takeaways. If you were able to be self-sustaining, uh, self-reliant, then you probably would never come to a place where you thought you needed a savior. So learning how to fail, learning how to lean into it rather than lean away from it is just, is just so important to us as Christ followers. No matter at what age or stage, no matter if you're looking at whether you want to become a Christ follower, th- this is so important. And again, Peter uh, gives us these lessons. Now, some of us are familiar with the story of Peter, and I want to start with this idea that even after all of Peter's failures, we see that Jesus sends for him, and Jesus does the same thing for us. In the midst of our failure, whether it was last week, whether it was two years ago, whether it was a long time ago, Jesus sends for us, and that should just stop in a moment and make us pause. Isn't that unbelievable that we have a Savior that's given himself for us, and when we're at our worst, when we fail, he sends for us. And if we're going to be all in, if we're going to learn from our failures, if we're going to lean forward, we need to understand that he sends for us. He reaches out for us. Jesus uh, is denied by Peter, by actually all the disciples, but there's these three poignant moments. We'll just touch on them uh, later on. Uh, if you were here Good Friday, you saw that little skit guy talk about that. Uh, the, Jesus, I mean, Peter absolutely fails Jesus, but when everything turns around after the resurrection, we have this wonderful verse in Mark 16, verse 7. It says, now go and tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he will go ahead of you, that's Jesus, to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. I love that word, especially. Especially, Peter. There are times where I need to hear Jesus send for me, and he says, especially, Dave. You've messed up, you brought it on yourself. You caught up, got caught up with who you are and maybe thought you were a little invincible or whatever. There was a lack of humility. You were absolutely selfish. And you create a big mess. And you realize it. I realize it. And there's a shame. And rather than Jesus turning his back on us, rather than him writing us off, he sends for us. We would have been very understandable if we had read this and it said, now go and tell his disciples, except Peter. It says, especially Peter. Because all of us in those quiet moments can think of those times where he would say, except me, not especially 
me. Just to hit on some of those uh, things, you can remember on the night uh, Jesus is arrested and Jesus is doing the first Lord's Supper and Jesus wants to wash everyone's feet and uh, Peter makes it into a big deal and talks about washing him. All. First, don't wash my feet, then wash all of me and all, all of this kind of thing. Uh, and uh, Jesus says, Peter, just calm down. You're messing up my illustration here. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> you have to let me wash your feet, but not the rest of you. And, and again, he's just, just there. And afterwards, he's going, oh, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that kind of thing. I mean, you've been there. And so, again, these little uh, failures. And uh, then, then they get, get larger. He's talking about all the disciples turning and running. And Peter says, all the other followers may lose their faith in you, but my faith will never be shaken. Wow, what a statement. Peter makes it. And just a little bit longer, later on, we see him denying Jesus three times. And on that third time, uh, there's this idea that Jesus is being uh, abused and beaten and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Peter is an eye shot because all of a sudden we see this moment. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the crow, rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Ooh. One thing if you just heard the rooster crow, but to actually have the eyes of Jesus look on you in that moment. And the reality is that in those bad moments, in those moments where we not even hedge, but we absolutely deny Christ in some way, Jesus is looking at us. But I love the heading of this section. Jesus doesn't look at us and write us off. Jesus looks at us and says, come to me. I'm imagining there were years and years and years where Peter would hear a rooster crow and he would think of that moment. It was a trigger for him. And in the world he lived in, I don't hear roosters crow every morning. Some of you do, but I don't. But Peter would hear that every single morning, and it triggered something. Yesterday, I was driving back from a, a little time out in the Andirondacks, and we were kind of doing the satellite radio thing. Oh, I know this song, you know, back and forth, 50s, no, no not 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And somewhere in there, Ghostbuster came on. And all of a sudden, bam, I remember being in high school. I remember having a cassette tape, and we would play it, rewind, play it, rewind, play it, rewind. And then finally, we got one of those cassette players that actually somehow knew where the break was. And you just go back one song and go and play it again. And, it, and I, felt, I was like instantly on the beach, sand in my mouth, hot sweat. You know, it's just it's amazing, the trigger. I'm sure Peter even after all of this, had to continue to process through that rooster crowing. And some of us have those same things that continually trigger in our life. But Jesus, in spite of that, sends for Peter. He sends for us. Even you being here this morning, may sound a little weird to you, I might say that God sent you here. Jesus sent you here, and here you are. Jesus doesn't only send for us, he also meets with us. 
I love how that goes just a little bit farther, just a little bit deeper. He just doesn't send for us. He just doesn't do the right thing. He just doesn't on paper say, hey, you know, I forgive you, you know, come back to me. He actually meets with, G- with Peter, and that is awesome. There are passages, and we'll get to them in a second, where, where Jesus meets with Peter. Because our sin, our disobedience, our selfishness, whatever you want to call that, breaks our relationship with God. Uh, we read in Isaiah this, your sins are roadblocks between you and your God. That is why he doesn't answer your prayers or let you see his face. Isn't it interesting that there are times where we're blatantly sinning and we're aware of it, we're blatantly disobeying him, but yet in another area we want God to step in and do his thing. And God's saying, no, 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 you need to be moving in the path of righteousness. I don't expect you to be perfect, but you need to be moving in that direction. And when you allow sin just to run rampant in your life, disobedience out of alignment with me, your communication with me isn't good. Actually, your communication isn't good uh, vertically with God, and it isn't good horizontally when we're letting sin run rampant in our lives. It, it breaks us, but Jesus still wants to meet with us, still wants to connect with us. We also, when we're thinking about this, need to have friends in our lives. It says, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Save your critical comments for yourself. The next line is what I really want to bring out. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. You see, sin disrupts relationships across the board. But in spite of that, Jesus meets with us. In 1 Corinthians, we read, Jesus presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest friends. I love the order there. Sends for him, meets with him, but wanted to get things right with Peter as quickly as possible because that was probably where the greatest wedge was. Because Peter had claimed to be one way, he acted another way. I think the other disciples just didn't speak what they were thinking, but Peter actually said it. And it's amazing that Jesus presents himself. No one knows what happened in between the time Peter denies and the time Peter sees Christ. But I'm sure there were super moments of isolation. Peter didn't want to be around anyone. He didn't want to be around the disciples. He, he, just, he just, you know, we don't have any records of this, but I know that when I do something that I'm ashamed of and I have shame, I don't want to face other people, especially the other disciples. Three years hanging out with them, all swearing allegiance to Jesus, and I, Peter, I, you know, I, I do the sword thing, try to save Jesus, but then I totally cave and I deny Christ Three direct ways, but Jesus presents himself. There is no sin in your life. There is no sin in my life that would cause Jesus not to present himself to you, to me. Nothing out there is not fixable, restorable. So Jesus does this. We need to know how to fail well. We need to fail forward rather than step away. And somehow Peter is able to do that. Also, when we're in these situations, we're going to realize that Jesus is actually going to challenge us. 
Not challenge us like in, you bet. He's going to challenge us because he wants us to take our next step of growth. All of this, Peter will change dramatically. Not next week, but the following week as we wrap things up, we'll look at kind of a synopsis of Peter's life. We'll look into the two books that he wrote, and we'll see that this Peter is a different guy. And as we've walked through this series, we see that Peter was an ordinary, regular guy. So all of us can grow. One of the lines in uh, one of the books he writes is, we have everything we need for this life of walking with Christ. Peter knew that firsthand. Peter expresses that to us. So Jesus challenges him. I'm going out to fish, Sam and Peter told them. This is when they were kind of just trying to figure out what to do. They knew Jesus was around, but they really were wondering what was going on. Simon Peter, it's interesting to use Simon again, not just Peter. He's going to go out and fish. He's going back to what he knows how to do. And the other guys say, we'll go with you. So they went out and got, caught, got in the boat, but they, that night they caught nothing. It's interesting, you can tie this back to Luke 5, that first experience where uh, Jesus preaches and uh, they had not caught anything the night before. And then uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, pull your boat back out. And they're like, no, we've already done this. And, and Peter says, no, but because of you, I will. And so all this is setting up, but they're not really, really feeling the moment yet. And it goes on, early in the morning, Jesus stood at the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net into the boat because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's usually, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him, he said, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken them off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the the net full of fish. They were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards so here we go. Paul, Peter is learning how to fall. He is falling towards. He's leaning forward. He's failing forward. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Again, that idea of burning coals ties back to the, other, to the stories of uh, imagery of Peter. Uh, even Peter denying Christ, there was a fire and there was probably coals there. So it's all there. Uh, there was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Uh, Bill Lois and Ireland Shaw would be happy with that. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew who he was but they were hesitant. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And you can just imagine, they're excited, but there's also this elephant in the room. Peter demonstrates the elephant in the room. Peter had directly denied him. The others had done basically the same, but Peter had said it out loud. It's interesting, when it comes to our spiritual growth, failures can be awesome things. 
Because failure can be a great teacher for us. When we fail and we learn to lean forward, fail forward, it's a great teacher. Bill Gates says this, success is a lousy teacher. It makes smart people think they can't lose. And this whole situation, at least as the disciples learn, and especially Peter, they, it, it restores a humility or produces a humility in their life that they will never shake. I've met some people in the years that have, that have failed in big ways, noteworthy ways. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them have learned to take that shame and that humility and to let it teach them a whole new level of, of living. Uh, the person that seems to never fail at business and looks at other people that are failing and has this attitude, oh, you just need to work harder. That's the reason you're failing at business, until they've discovered that they have failed at a business. I had a friend like that. He was very down on other people. Just pull yourself up with the bootstraps. Just work harder. And when he had his first loss, it changed his mind and his compassion to everyone around us. You see, failure, we don't want to waste them. We don't want to run after them. We don't want to try to have them happen in our life. But when we have one, when we're face-to-face with one, we need to learn how to fail well. We need to fail forward, not fail backwards. So we're going to see that Peter is putting, or Jesus is putting Peter in this challenging moment. And then the next, we're going to see how he takes it and turns it around, and Jesus restores He restores Peter, and he will restore you and I. No failure is permanent. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And it starts. Some commentators would say that Jesus stepped away with Peter and had a sidebar conversation. Some would say, no, this conversation happened right in front of the disciples. And I lean to think that this happened publicly. The disciples were aware of it. So Jesus is going to ask these questions. He doesn't want to waste a teaching moment just on Peter. These men are going to hear the interaction, and they are wondering what's going to happen. Everyone in that room or on that beach side is happy that they are not Peter. But they do want to see what happens. They do want to learn. And Peter, I'm sure that just cut right to, the, to his heart. Do you love me? Yes, I do love you, but I denied you. I, I, I thought I was going to fight with you. I was going to die for you. But then in another situation, all that passion, all that courage just seemed to dissipate. You and I have been there. You and I have had uh, the feeling that, boy, we have a spiritual strength. And uh, we go into a situation and we do the right thing. And then we're in another situation, and all of a sudden, it's gone. It's like drained out of us, and we do the wrong thing, and there's the shame of that. And we go, yes, I love you, but in this situation, I acted like I didn't love you. Earlier on, when they were praying, the the body uh, is, uh, the spirit's willing, but the body is weak. He responds, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep, engage, point to me, train others. And we're going to find that if we looked at the history of Peter, he, 
He's revolutionary. The first day he preaches, 3,000 are added to faith. He's feeding Jesus' sheep. But Jesus isn't over. You know, sometimes you and I get in these conversations. I don't know about you, but I don't like tension. So if I felt I needed to ask this question once, I'd ask it once and be done with it. Jesus is going to keep going. He's going to dig a little deeper. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. He kind of expands the idea. Just don't feed them, just don't do this, but, but actually care for them, shepherd them. But he's not over yet. The third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He got it. You denied me three times, you're asking me three times. Do you love me? He said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Almost with a brokenness, Peter says, you know me inside and out. I can answer I love you, but only you can read my heart. Sometimes you and I find ourselves in those situations where we're saying, God, I want to give myself for you, and we're having trouble with it. We're having trouble expressing it. We're having trouble doing the right thing. And we say, Jesus, I love you, but you've got to read my heart. We can go back to where Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do and should do, and back and forth. We can find ourselves in that kind of a place. But what's amazing is Jesus, again, is not writing Peter off. He's restoring him. I like what Erwin Lutzer says. He says, God is able to forget our past. Why can't we? He throws our sins into the depths of the sea and puts a sign up on the shore which reads, no fishing. I don't know about you, but that gives me relief that God is not going to bring those things back up. Now, I don't buy the idea that he like, like totally forgets, but it's like he totally forgets because he doesn't hold those things against you. So some of the things in my life when I've asked for forgiveness and I know he forgives me and then I do the same thing again, I don't think it's like, oh, Dave, you've never done that before. And, you know, there are consequences. He understands that. But he has this unbelievable ability because most people we know don't have this ability that when they forgive you, it is gone. He does not treat us any differently. The forgiveness is applied to our lives. Even when I forgive someone, I have to work at applying that forgiveness, not holding it against them, not in my mind going, oh yeah, they're, you know, I, I need to release it and, and let it go. God is able to do that perfectly. Next, we see that God or Jesus reenlists Peter, he reenlists us. He says, you know, serve me, feed my sheep. Peter is catching the reenlistment. He's catching the forgiveness. But then it's kind of interesting. Peter is Peter. Peter has to grow. We all have to grow. Then we have this little dialogue. I'm telling you the very truth. When you were young, you dressed yourself and wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and take you where you don't want to go. And the imagery there is that Jesus is speaking to Peter's death. 
He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Glorify means point to God, the kind of death that uh, Peter would have. And then he commanded him, follow me. Turning his head, this is the Peter moment. Peter noticed the disciple Jesus loved right behind him. That's John. When Peter noticed him, he asked Jesus, Master, what's going to happen to him? Jesus said, if I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Peter's Peter. We all have our predisposed whatever. It's amazing. Peter's in this moment, and even as he comes out of this moment, he's, he's trying to embrace what he needs to do, who he is, but he's also looking at somebody else and kind of pointing them out. And Jesus says, you don't worry about them, you worry about me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be like a Peter. I can go through a moment where I know God has forgiven me, reinstated me, said, you know, said, you're all set. I won't hold that against you. And then somebody else is in my life and I can see them. And all of a sudden my attention faces goes, what about them? What are they doing? What are they doing? And it takes, in a sense, the focal off my own heart. Peter was human. Later on, we see that he stops doing that. But Peter is human. So that should give us hope. So as we think about being all in, as we think about the momentum, as we think about jumping, as we think about starting to go down that ski mountain, and once we're in it, we're moving, gravity's doing its thing, and we're moving in that direction, and we realize somehow we're out of step, we have not looked before we leaped, and we're getting to be into this fall, this tumble, we need to ask ourselves, are we going to learn to fall well, to to fail well, to fail forward. Because failure is not final. Fail forward. Don't waste them. Hopefully as you grow in Christ, they become a little less and less. But when they come, do not waste them. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you that you include what's going on in Peter's life. We can see that Peter is like us. He's human. Uh, He doesn't always get it. Sometimes he digs a hole and makes it bigger. Yet you work with him. Yet you don't write him off. You embrace him. Help us as we think about our lives and think about who we are and, and sometimes regret the things that we've done. May we be able to lean into our failure rather than away from it. May we lead forward into it. May we not waste a failure. May not a period of time goes by that that failure doesn't speak into our life and we just waste it. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not said yes to you, we just ask that in these moments they would just be compelled by your spirit to say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. I want to accept your gift of forgiveness, uh, your son's work on the cross, his resurrection, and I want to follow you. I want to take some steps on this journey. We just ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So again, we like to thank you for your...